0: Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Welcome back. You guys, this is episode 100. I feel like we should celebrate, but I don't know exactly how. I mean, I know some podcasts do a very special episode, but I didn't plan far enough in advance for that. I could have picked out some some very favorite something or done a bonus episode about... I don't know, something that's not a primary source, but I didn't. I'll blame 2020 for that. How far are we through October? Anyway, I wish that I had something better to share with you today. It's a comedy, which at least should be amusing, but oh boy, today's selection from Plautus did not age well. Today's play is *Casina*, um, one of his later works, which is about all that I can tell you about its background. Um, it, yeah, like I said, we don't we don't have a lot of dates for for Plautus, and so it's comes late in his career. Anyway, uh, the text that we have has some editions that are ancient but not original, uh, most notably seen in the prologue. There are several breaks in the last act, and then there's an epilogue that, I mean, well, it reads to me like something that was added to fill in the gaps that were lost at some point. This is a weird little play that, like, I feel is going to take way too long to describe. Um, I am, again, working from the Henry Thomas Riley translation. Um, There are newer translations that are undoubtedly better, but I don't own them, and they aren't available for free. So I'm using what I've got. Um, and, and the one weird th- thing in the Riley translation is that there are a couple of pages in the final act that he didn't bother to translate, probably because they were too dirty. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean that um, euphemistically. Yeah. Uh, so at least in the version I have, um, there's a there are a couple of pages that are in Latin. Um, and now my latin is slightly better than my greek uh but that's not saying much (laughs) so i won't be able to fill in that blank uh but i doubt it has much impact on the discussion point that this that the discussion points this play raises it really is probably just a lot of dirty jokes at that point which is why he left them in latin because it just wouldn't be he wasn't comfortable anyway you know like 1910 1912 that he wrote this translation uh, as we frequently see in Roman comedy, this play is set in Athens. Uh, it features Stalino and his wife Cleostrada and their servants Olympio and Kalinas. Cleostrata's Cleostrada's uh, BFF Marina lives next door and her husband is Alkesimus. Cleostrada's maid, Partalisco also plays a key role in the plot. And um, to keep things really confusing, in his introduction, Riley speaks of Lysodamus, the husband of Cleostrada, but throughout the rest of the text, the character is called Stalino. Uh, so I'll be calling him Stalino, but you might see him as Lysodamus elsewhere. So with that background, we'll take a quick break before going through with, through, the, uh, whatever this is. It's, yeah, you'll see. opens with a prologue that is clearly an addition because it speaks of how this play is probably new to the younger members of the audience, but the old people may have seen it back when it was new. But the prologue is vital to our understanding of the plot, so it's a good thing that someone decided to add it. Here we go. In one house we have an old man. He has a wife and they have a son. He also has a slave who is confined to bed with some chronic illness. Now, about, oh, 16 years ago, this slave discovered a baby girl being exposed. He begged the girl's mother to give the child to him instead of leaving her to her death. She gave him the baby, and he brought it home and gave it to his mistress, who raised her as if she were her own. That girl is now, well, you know, 16 years old and is quite the looker. She's caught the eye of the old man and his son. And the wife recognizes this. The old man has hatched a plot to marry her off to his bailiff and send them to a house in the country so that he can go and... Visit. The wife, on the other hand, has hatched a plot to marry her off to one of her servants so that her son can, well, do the same. (sighs) Yes, do the same thing that his father wants to do. I mean, the girl may have been raised as if she were free, but she's not, so she can't exactly marry the son. Oh, and don't look for the son to appear in this play. He's on business abroad and won't return today. But don't worry, at the end of the play, it will be revealed that the girl is freeborn and perfectly modest as a proper freeborn woman should be, and she and the son will get married. Yes, that is all in the prologue. If there had ever been a prologue penned by Plautus, I'm not sure he would have given all of those details away in the prologue. But whoever wrote this does. I mean, do we even need the rest of the play? Uh, but there is the rest of the play, so here we go. Olympio and Kalinas enter. They argue about Cassina, the 16-year-old foundling whom they each intend to marry. The fight ends when they both stalk off inside. Cleostrada and Partaliska enter. Cleostrada says that she's going next door to visit with her friend, so if her husband asks after her, that's where she is. Partaliska says that he's asking for breakfast. Cleostrada shushes the maid and sends her back inside. She then tells the audience that she's not going to make him breakfast because he's decided to go after the the girl that their son is in love with. He can eat when he learns to behave. She starts off to the house next door, but doesn't make it far before Marina enters. They talk. Cleostrata complains about her husband, and Marina says that she kind of brought it on herself by taking in the girl in the first place, and it's better to let him have his fling than to risk him divorcing her. Um, they probably would argue that point, but Cleostrata sees her husband coming, and the two women say farewell. Marina goes back into her house. Stalino enters, talking to himself about how he's in love with Cassina, before he sees that his wife is standing right there. He professes his love for Cleostrata, and she rebuffs him because, again, the whole Cassina thing. They speak about Cassina and each of their plans for her marriage. They ultimately agree to each speak to the other's servant in an attempt to convince them to give up their claim to the marriage. Cleostrata exits into their house. Calenus enters from the house, and Stellino explains that he's promised Cassina's hand to his bailiff, so could Calinas, pretty please give up any thoughts he has of marrying the girl? Kalinas says no and goes back inside. Olympio then enters, continuing his conversation through the open door. Stellino asks who he's arguing with, and Olympio says that Stellino's wife is trying to convince him to give up Cassina, but he's refused to do so. Stellino is thrilled. Sure, they are still at an impasse, but at least he hasn't lost. Stellino says that the only solution is to draw lots. Cleostrada and Calenus enter with the urn into the lots. After much ado, they make sure everything is fair and Cleostrata pulls Olympio's name from the urn. Everyone except for Calenus goes inside to get ready for the wedding. Calenus soliloquizes about his feelings about this turn of events. He's not happy. Stilino and Olympio enter and discuss the wedding and how happy Stilino is about how he will now get to sleep with Cassino whenever he wants, which Olympio isn't so sure he really likes if he's gonna, he's supposed to be her husband. Stellino of course, overhears all of this and interjects. Uh, but they make plans for the wedding, and Olympio exits to purchase food for the wedding banquet. And when I say interjects, I, he has interject. There are sides. He's speaking to the audience. Um... Olympio exits to get food for the wedding banquet. Banquet. Stelino exits into Alkazimus's house, the the other house on stage. Um, where Marina lives because she and Alkazimus are married, right? Um, and because so, Stelino goes there because that's where he's planning to have his first uh, tryst with Cassina. <laughs> Guys, this place this place is so messed up. Uh, Kalinas has, of course, overheard all of this, and he exits to tell Cleostrata about what Stellino is planning. Elkesimus and Stellino enter from Elkesimus' house, um, Elkesimus is happy to let his friend and neighbor use his house to sleep with the maid, um, Stellino exits, and Elkesimus goes back into his house. Cleostrata enters, commenting about how now she understands why Stellino, um, was strongly encouraging her to have Marina come over and help with the wedding preparations, um, Alkesimus enters. They speak about those wedding preparations, and he asks if she needs some help, and, and Cleostrata says, nah, I'm good, and she exits. Alkesimus wrings his hands because he hasn't managed to get his wife out of the house, and he told Stelina that that he'd make sure it did. It, oh, and what's he going to do? Alkesimus exits into his house. Cleostrata enters and does a little jig at how she's going to outwit her husband, Stelino enters and asks if Marina is helping with the wedding preparations, and Cleostrada says that it would be unseemly for her to ask because that would require permission from Ms. Marina's husband, and a proper matron doesn't go around talking to men she's not married to. If Stelino thinks Marina should help, then he needs to speak to El himself. She exits back into her house. El enters, and the two men, of course, argue over the conflict that Cleostrata has orchestrated about... Getting Marina out of the house so that Stilino can use it for his whatever this is. El exits back into his house. Partiliska runs out of out of the house, out of um, Stilino's house, screaming. She tells Stilino that Cassina has a sword. No, two swords, one for each hand. And she'd rather kill the bailiff with one and Stilino with the other than lie with either of them. Before going back inside, Partaliska tells the audience that, of course, she has made up this entire story. Olympio enters along with the cook and provisions for the feast. They exit into the house to prepare the meal. Partaliska enters and laughs about how the wedding preparations are going, which is not particularly well. Stalino enters, calling over his shoulder that he plans to dine in the country house because he wants to visit the newlyweds. Hey, we'll have a ban- banquet tomorrow, right? Um, and he sees Pardisco go standing outside, and orders to go back in. She exits back into the house. Olympio enters, dressed as a groom, and accompanied by musicians. He and Stalino speak more about the wedding. A couple of maids enter, leading—well, not Cassina. Um, on—it's—it's it's actually calenus in disguise, and the maids hand calenus in his Cassina guise off to Olympio, and Stalino and Olympio both manhandle the bride before they all exit until Al house. Marina and Cleostrata enter from Stellino's house and set up a watch on the door of uh Al-Kesimaz's house. Olympio bursts out, having discovered that his bride is not, in fact, Cassina. Cleostrada shrugs about that little trick she's pulled. Stellino enters and speaks of his disgrace, and this is where the text starts to fall apart a bit literally this is also where there are a whole bunch of those jokes that apparently um Riley was not comfortable translating from Len um I mean so it makes it a little uh, even harder to follow because yeah it, there are all these breaks in the text um Kalinas then enters uh still wearing his casino dress and the confusion is cleared up and Stellino and Cleostrata reconcile and everyone is happy and and friends again um and that's, I mean, and that's kind of where the play ends because the next, the, uh, where it, the last part, the last lines are an epilogue spoken by the players. It doesn't say who, um, which is why I have to wonder if it's not original. Um, it, and it, the epilogue says, "Oh, guess what, guys? It's okay. It's going to turn out that Cassina is the daughter of Marina and Alkesimus. Um, so she's going to get to marry Euthynicus, the son of Stolino and Cleostrata. And now you should all applaud." Play, oh, it is it is really messed up. It's technically a comedy, but it's still it just creeps me out. Um, so today's stock character is the Virgo or the Virgin. I initially thought about highlighting the matron today since Cleostrada is such a great matron character. Um, but I think it would be better to talk about the virgin in this play. The Love Struck Youth stock character falls in love with one of two different types of stock characters, either the harlot, the prostitute, um, or the virgin. And in this play, the character is the latter, the virgin, because is a stock virgin character. Um, and what's the biggest thing you might have noticed about her? Do, 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 do. We never see her. She has no lines. She never sets foot on stage. She is a concept. She is not real. I mean, she's real, but she isn't really real. If the love-struck young man falls for a harlot, a prostitute, we frequently see her. But if he falls for a virgin, we don't. She may have a few lines here or there, but she doesn't get much stage time. And Cassina is the epitome of this stock character because we never see her. She gets no stage time she is just there for people to lust after but she's a good girl so you know and it is and it does make sense because a proper roman woman stays out of sight right stays indoors um does not cavort with with strangers with other men which we see in cleostrata saying i was like oh i can't go and talk to the the man who lives next door That wouldn't be proper. Cassina is very proper. We never see her. That's how good she is. But it's also interesting to note that Euthynicus gets no stage time either, Um, which shows us that this play is not about them. It has nothing. It's it's about Stilino and Cleostrata. The young lovers are secondary to the battle between husband and wife. This play is about the relationship between Stilino and Cleostrata. Cassina and Euthynicus could be anybody, frankly. Um, And that is what is so messed up about this play. It revolves around who gets to sleep with a 16-year-old girl. And about forcing her into a marriage so that somebody who is not her husband can sleep with her. I mean, I feel icky reading it. It is so wrong on so many levels so <laughs> with that what what do you think how would you handle this play today how would you present it how would you make it palatable is not necessarily the right word it doesn't doesn't have to be palatable but it's still i mean is it still a comedy um how do you think the story would be different if it were told from the perspective of either uh, Cassina or Euthenicus? Um, How would it be different if we saw either of them on stage? Neither of them appear. How would that change it? Um, and, and to add a little levity, I will say over on the blog, because this, this is akin to um, what happens in a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, where both father and son are lusting after the same almost well, in that case it's not a, the virgin character it's the prostitute character but um so i did i did leave a little a little clip from a funny thing happened to the way to the forum that you can enjoy over on the blog um but do please come and share your thoughts on on how how we make this play um relevant to a modern audience um There's a link to the blog in the show notes, or at least a URL. If you have a pen handy, it's triumphyourclyo.school.blog. On Wednesday, we will get to the exciting parts of the Odyssey with the famous Book 9. Ooh, Talk to you then. Oh, and don't forget to vote. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.